0: Or one of the things that keeps people from thinking that they have anything to do with customer experience is that we don't think of the experience as a product or an offering. Um, The companies that make this switch really think of themselves as being in the experience delivery business. Even if what they sell is a physical product, nobody buys that product because they want that product. They buy that product because of some experience that it facilitates. And so that mindset shift is key to kind of engaging people and getting them to see, oh, hey, here's how what I do connects to the experience a customer has researching, buying, using whatever our products. But it's a fundamental shift in the way people think about the work that they do.
1: Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. I've been doing some research on what's most important to business leaders, and I've heard three major themes. Number one, their employees are burned out and feel overwhelmed. Number two, they're concerned about customer retention. And number three, they want to address customer friction, whether it's controllable or not, but they need actionable results. As a result, I've created the 120-day Quick Start a four-step program designed to go from current state assessment to specific strategies to get you actionable results in 120 days. If you want to make a quick impact, check out empoweredcx.com for more information. I'd love to talk to you. Well, I am so excited to introduce my guest today. Megan Burns is a Fortune 500 CX strategist and someone I've known for years in the CX industry. She is a thought leader and interesting, no matter where you hear her, especially here on the Delighted Customers podcast. Megan, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Mark. I am delighted to be here.
1: Well, glad, glad you're on board and can't wait to hear. You've always got something innovative and cutting edge to say. No pressure. <laughs> so, no, 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 but that's but that's what people want to hear. They want to hear not the same old thing. They want yeah. to hear something new. And I know from all the years of experience you had, and you were I, refresh my memory, you were one of the first people in Forrester digging into CX and doing the research around it. And did you come up with the Cxi, the the formula we used to to a metric we used around CX?
0: Uh, Roxy Strominger and I developed uh, version two of it. There was a a simple version that was in the public domain um, that Bruce Temkin actually created, uh, I think, in 2009, 2010. And then in 2014, we updated it to take more into account about the connection between experience and loyalty, because it's not just about a good experience; it's about a good experience that builds loyalty. Interestingly, the f- the first year that Forrester published the Customer Experience Index with the original model, the company they came in first was Borders Books, and they were out of business within a year. Ouch! Um, so just proof that a-, a good experience is not a substitute for a viable business model.
1: Yeah, you can't you can't make up for that, can you? Yeah,
0: no that that's a hard one to overcome.
1: So now that we've teased the audience about it, what are the, there were three components, right, to the index?
0: Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. It looks at uh, how effective was that company at meeting the customer's needs in that experience? Um, How easy was it for them to get whatever results they needed or wanted? And then how did the experience make them feel? Um. And all three of those things combine uh, to various degrees in various industries uh, to influence someone's likelihood to continue to do business with a company, do business again. Um, In some industries like government and healthcare, it wasn't so much about people who have a choice, but it was about willingness to use non-mandatory services offered by that agency. Uh, beyond just what you have to do with them, so there are a bunch of different variables um, that that ties to, but it's all about business success.
1: Yeah, and and I uh, became a believer in that and used that as a as a way to understand, you know, some of the broader metrics like NPS, like what's driving that. So, thank you for doing that.
0: You're welcome. And and part of part of why we felt that was so important, all of us, my whole team at the time, was that likelihood to recommend is really a brand level metric. Individual experiences influence that. And so it may not be the first bad experience or the second or the third that causes you to say, you know what, I'm going to stop recommending this company So we wanted to have a way to look at, you know, where is the canary in the coal mine, both for better and for worse? As you get better, one great experience doesn't make you go, oh, look, this company is suddenly fabulous. But if the experiences themselves are better, that's going to uh, increase their willingness and likelihood to uh, promote a company uh, when you've demonstrated enough of those consistent experiences to prove yeah they they actually are better.
1: Well th- thank you for letting me take a early divergence uh into what we were going to talk about. <laughs> okay. I can't help it. You know, I've just I I love I love that. And the fact that you you were part of the person that, even though it was a 2.0 that was involved in creating that metric. For those of us who have been kicking the CX can around for a while, you know, that's a big deal. That's an industry-wide metric that you can't, you and Roxy and, you know, your teams help come up with. So thank you again.
0: You are welcome. I'm glad it's helpful. So
1: so talking about customers who don't come back again, as you mentioned, um, what do you see? A lot has changed since you first developed that back in 2014. What do you see today as the biggest challenge that organizations have in customer experience management? Well,
0: there, there's two sides to that coin, right? The, the perennial challenge is that what constitutes easy, what would have earned you a top score on easy five years ago is not the same hmm. as what constitutes easy now. Um, I sometimes hmm. joke that when I started in customer experience, there was no iPhone, right? So just think about how our perception of easy has changed. Um, But on the flip side of that, there's a a sort of cultural organizational challenge, which is the perception that good customer experience is just common sense, which seems like it would be true, but it's not. Not because people don't care about customers, but because organizations have gotten complicated enough, uh, and it doesn't take much. that good intentions are not enough, right? I very often say that uh, to create a seamless experience, it takes more than empathy because scale creates problems that empathy alone can't solve, right? It's not that the right hand doesn't, you know, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. The right hand doesn't actually even know that the left hand exists, Right. In some companies sure. I had uh, when I was at AT&T, we had a, a tech vendor host a conference bringing together all the groups in at t who were using their technology. We didn't know about each other. We'd never met each other. But they mm. said, you guys should probably be talking. And they literally got us all together in a room in New Jersey. And there was nothing in the company that would have prompted or facilitated that.
1: Yeah. So so I like to pull out the gems when the guests say them so we can uh just make them more memorable. And what I heard was that good intentions, good common, um, even common sense, even empathy is not enough right. to drive, you know, the consistency, the loyalty, all these things that we're looking for. And part of it's just because of the sheer complexity.
0: Yeah. Yep, scale the way I usually uh say it is scale creates problems that empathy alone can't solve. Care can more solve. Yeah. not the answer.
1: Yeah. Well well that that is great and I know I know that from, from having been a practitioner um w- you know there's so much involved the the whole the whole metaphor of pushing the rock up the mountain um you you're trying to to build the right, get the right tools in place to listen and to get data back from customers. You're trying to set up the right metrics, You're journey mapping to understand and to a certain extent empathize with what the customers are going through, what they're feeling, what they're thinking. And yet, gosh, if, if, if you have run into some of these complexities that we're talking about, organizational complexities, scale uh, that drives some of these challenges... And you can't actually implement, you know, what what needs to change, you're you're stuck.
0: Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's interesting. Services companies tend to have an easier time with this than product companies, although certainly not easy. Um, In part, because one of the reasons or one of the things that keeps people from thinking that they have anything to do with customer experience is that we don't think of the experience as a product or an offering. Um, The companies that make this switch really think of themselves as being in the experience delivery business. Even if what they sell is a physical product, nobody buys that product because they want that product. They buy that product because of some experience that it facilitates. And so that mindset shift is key to kind of engaging people and getting them to see, oh, hey, here's how what I do connects to the experience a customer has, researching, buying, using, whatever, our products but it's a fundamental shift in the way people think about the work that they do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and it's it's something I've explored and 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 called the high cost of misalignment, mm-hmm. right? The, between what the vision of the leadership is and the actual what happens at the customer level. It, it, there's a there's a disconnect there.
0: Yeah, and I think we have to recognize, too, that as passionate as we are about customer experience, those of us in the field, um, at the end of the day, product managers are not going to stop being product managers. Finance people aren't Mm going to stop being finance people, and we don't want them to be, right? What we need to help them become is experience literate, experience savvy versions of that role and i think figuring out what that e what that means and how it actually translates to okay so if i'm a product manager and i'm designing a new product what does that look like i was working with the product development team of a healthcare company and i health insurance and i asked them when if you're designing a new health plan product uh what do you produce and they said we produce a document you know, it's got rates and fee tables and all this stuff in it. I said, Great, where in that document would I look to understand the experience someone has being a member with this plan? And of course, I got blank stares. They're like, no, nope, nowhere. We don't do that. Well, you didn't until now, but that's what being an experienced savvy product manager means is thinking not just about the product features, but what is the experience someone has accessing those features and having that be part of what you specify in design from the get-go. Mm.
1: So help me out. Does this, what you just said, does that connect to this, what you're calling the activation challenge?
0: It does. Um, so the activation challenge, uh, the easiest way to talk about it is The number one thing I hear from people is everybody nods their heads. Everybody says, Yep, customer experience is really important. Let me know how that goes. Uh, They care about it, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're willing to do something about it. So, how do we get people to take an active role in designing, delivering, managing customer experience, whatever that is? And one of the reasons that people don't step up is because they don't know what to do. Like you could put a bunch of product managers in a room and they might not come up with or think of that task as a new thing to add to their list. So we have to help them understand what the activities of experience management and experience design are and how those overlay and fit into what they already do. Because very often people want to help. They want to be part of the solution. Um, They just have no idea what to do.
1: Hmm. So number one, pulling another gem out of what you just said is really it's, you've got to include everybody. Everybody, has a role in the ultimate delivery of that experience, right?
0: They do. I think we have to be careful not to be a little uh, hyperbolic there, right? Everybody's customer experience is part of everybody's job. Um, Mm. The way that you enable great customer experience in some roles may just be do your job and don't be a jerk, right? If you're three, four, five steps removed from the customer, there may be no immediate obvious connection. But yeah. if people can't get their technology to work, if if you know things aren't being processed right, there are all of these other things that can create an environment where the people who do directly serve customers have to deal with things that ideally they wouldn't have to deal with. So it is everybody's job, but we also don't wanna um you can, we can take that a little too far sometimes and start to sound kind of um uh, crusader ish
1: Hmm. yeah
0: customer experience is everything
1: no but but to to affirm your point um yeah i was thinking about uh some feedback i got early on from our legal department and they were saying no our job isn't so much of i'm not getting this mark our job isn't so much to to create an outstanding customer experience but it's to protect the bank our job is to protect the bank and i said well, okay. So, a couple of things. One is if you're if you're helping the bank uh, in the long view be successful and protect customers and the bank, you you could be helping the customer experience that way, right? Our, our viability, our success of of protecting ourselves from from lawsuits and other things. Two is at some point or another, there's a whole set of documents that customers have to go through um, to to engage with us. So. They're experiencing those documents. That's part of their experience. Ah, so even legal has an impact.
0: Yeah, and, and if the experience is too bad, we saw this with, um, uh, in 2008, 2009 with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh, and now more recently with terms and conditions, um, just because it is legally accurate If the person having the experience, if it's so complex that they can't actually absorb what the intent of that documentation was, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to be covered because you put it in there. And I think we've seen that more and more, that it's about the spirit of the regulation as much as it is about the regulation and and really being practical about that.
1: So, so um, if I could put a fine point on, so message for leaders is um, um, one way or another, even if it's just being a kind person to your coworkers, right? You, you, you play a role and, uh, and it may even be more than that. And to your point earlier on, not because of bad intentions, just because of a lack of awareness, that there is an impact, a trickle-down, a ripple effect. Some some ripples are very direct. Yeah. And others are more subtle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, just helping people understand that you're serving humans, right? I work with a lot of B2B companies. And so we talk about customers and accounts and, and all of this, Um I was working with one client. We said, how do we bring this customer voice to life? So we started literally doing that and running these video conversations with customers. Nothing in those conversations was anything that hadn't already come out of the data. But the impact of having employee humans hear customer humans say these things was exponential in terms of getting people to pay attention to believe to care so even just having this sense that oh at the end of the day we're not serving some nameless faceless corporation if we weren't here real people couldn't do real things
1: all right so you just casually laid out a three-step model that i want to come back to do that and double tap on there from pay attention to believe to care. So say more about that.
0: Oh, well, I have to think more about that. Um so this is one of the things, and this ties back to that activation challenge, right? We try to get people on board and we always go, We need data. I have been in situations, many situations, your listeners have been in situations where you have had plenty of data and the people mm-hmm. you're talking to don't believe the data. Right? And that's a that's a, a function, believe it or not, it is a feature of the human brain that keeps us from getting tricked, right? We don't necessarily believe one data point that contradicts our worldview. We kind of have to be, um, you know, uh, there's a process called disconfirmation. We have to sort of, you know, how do we get say, okay, well, maybe the world isn't quite the way I thought it was, um, and then, okay, well, if it isn't, um, what does it look like? And so that process of bringing people along um, can't happen unless they're actually interacting with the data. And people are much more likely to come watch a video than they are to go read a report or look at a dashboard. So that's step one. How do we make customer feedback engaging? Um, Believing is another piece of this. And it's much you know, we've always seen this with verbatims, people use verbatims or custom customer videos, because there's something about that firsthand articulation that we connect with more, uh, and we empathize more, and it feels more believable. Um, That's not true for some people. Some people look at that and go, oh, it's anecdotal. So you kind of want a one-two punch, but you have to give people space to be willing to say, oh, okay, maybe what I thought was wrong and what these people are saying is right. And especially with executives, you got to let them save face in doing that, right? We've always thought that X, Y, and Z, but you know what? We're learning from talking to customers that it's actually A, B, and C. Mm. And now that we know that, there's a quote from uh, Maya Angelou that says, you do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, you do better. Um that's kind of the the fundamental thing. So paying attention to and actually seeing the data, uh, believing the data. And then the last piece is, okay, I believe that this is how customers feel. I believe that this is a problem. Um, Do I care? And more importantly, do I care enough to do something? Mm. Um, Every business every day makes decisions. Um, I don't remember where I heard this, but someone... Uh, it's probably like on an episode of Oprah, someone said, um, life is about choosing which problems you want to have. You're never going to not have problems. So it's about choosing which problems you want to have. And you may want to have the problem of having slightly lower profit margins and happier customers because long-term, you know, that's going to pay off. You might make a different decision. So, getting people to feel as though when I say getting them to care, I guess what I mean, and I never thought about it this way, is um, getting them to see the problem that that data is showing you as a problem that they no longer want to have and want to do something Mm. about.
1: Mm. That's that's what I love about the show is that Guests articulate some things for the first time on the show. Oh
0: yeah, it's one of the reasons I love doing podcasts. It, you know, yeah. I'm a verbal processor, so uh, me I too. think by talking. So,
1: this me is awesome. too. No, I I love that idea of getting them to care enough that they want to do something that they're not settled with the problem as it is.
0: Yeah, and that that problem. This is another thing that I see as an as a challenge with activation is that it's not about making a business case because every idea around customer experience is generally a good idea, right? We don't tend to have bad ideas.
1: right? So,
0: so it's not about, is this a good idea? It's about, is this the best idea? Is this the best thing to do with the limited amount of resources that we have? So the calculus is very different than the way people usually think and talk about it. Um, and I think that leads to some frustration because we're not thinking about the decision the way the actual decision makers. Uh, are thinking about it.
1: Yeah. Well, and speaking of uh, of the way we think about things, um you had said we're irrational in an incredibly predictable way. What did you mean by that?
0: Um I can't take credit for that. That actually comes from Dan Ariely, um who's oh, yeah. a, a behavioral uh, economist, behavioral psychologist. Um what we've found is that human beings have a lot of biases, right? We have the confirmation bias. We tend to be drawn to data that confirms what we already know. We have the recency bias. If I just heard about something happening to somebody and you ask me how how often does that thing happen, I'm going to think it happens more often because it's easier to call up in my mind. Um, So we have these biases that lead us to make... um Biases isn't even the right word. We have these mental rules of thumb and shortcuts that we use that lead us to do things that are very often illogical. But we as a world know so much about those quirks and rules of thumb and how they affect decision making that we can actually factor them into the way we design messaging and experiences and things like that so that we end up guiding people to the place we want them to get to or need them to get to despite their tendency to sometimes make things that aren't the most rational, logical decision.
1: So, so share an illustration. Let's say I'm a, um, let's say I am a telecom mm-hmm. company and I would like someone to behave in a different way. How would this play out?
0: Oh, goodness. Um, well, one of the examples that that just pops to mind, probably because of the recency bias, is what we saw with overages. Um, nobody oh. likes having an overage charge. Um, but we like having a surprise overage charge even less. So before unlimited plans became so popular, one of the things people started doing was saying, hey, you're getting close to your data limit. You're getting close to your data limit. That didn't necessarily stop you from having an overage, um, but it gave you the ability to stop that if you were willing to do what you wanted. And when you saw the overage charge on your bill, you understood why and you felt like you had some sign, some sort of control over that, right? Knowing always feels better than not knowing. And human beings want control. We want choice. Even if we know that that choice has no impact on the outcome, we crave this ability to choose something. And so building choice and building um, certainty or predictability or clarity into an experience uh, might not change anything about the underlying situation, but it makes the experience of that situation feel better.
1: Yeah, excellent. I, I was just thinking, as you were saying that, the illustration of the call center and how people have gone to, hey, if you'd like a call back, yep. you, won't, you won't lose your place in line, give us your phone number. And may not be any different in terms of the amount of time or the outcome you're going to get, but their perception of choice
0: Oh, the perception of choice and waiting. Um, Our friend Bruce Temkin, uh, uh, one of the first events I went to actually uh, post-pandemic, he shared some research that they had done at the XM Institute around which experiences tend to be moments of truth, kind of across industry, and the waiting experience, whatever context that's in—waiting for a callback, waiting for the doctor—how you handle the waiting experience makes a huge. Difference in the overall experience in which that waiting occurred, no matter what your
1: business. Such such a great point. I'm going to just pull that out as a gem. So, if you if you think about your customer's journey and you're listening, um, are there any points in that journey that they're waiting? That they're waiting that that you could do something to affect the way they experience that weight. You may or may not be able to actually change the actual weight itself, but you could affect the experience, right? As as way that you just share you just shared, Megan. And I think about we did a journey map years ago of the home equity loan process. And there's a point in time that was is a low point emotionally for customers. And that's the waiting. Mm-hmm. That's the waiting for typically for the appraisal. Um, to come back from underwriting and there's, you know, all sorts of this, sometimes there's a third party, there's a third party, it's seasonal, it's cyclical, and they're not getting back, maybe they're just asleep at the wheel. It doesn't matter, you're the, you're the one delivering the experience for the customer, they're waiting, they're upset at you.
0: They're <laughs> upset at you and or they're anxious and they're channeling that anxiety to you. Um yeah. Even just saying, you know, I may not have an update, but I'm going to call you tomorrow and let you know if I have an update, I'll share it. If I don't, I'll tell you I have no update. What that does is lets the customer let that go in their mind. Somebody else is on that, and they don't have to worry about it again until whatever time. So just giving them something certain, some structure, um, the unknown. And feeling out of control is the worst experience a human being can have.
1: Excellent. So along those lines, um, share, if you would, some tips and ideas for leaders on how they can activate, how they can put activation in place.
0: Um, Okay, so what I just said about customers applies equally to employees. That's one of the things I think we forget. Um mm-hmm. so you come out with a customer experience strategy, but you don't have a lot of details and you tell people about it and people either forget about it or, you know, they they're like, "Well, okay, what do we do?" and you go, "We don't know yet." Um, you know, thinking about how you roll that out and thinking about how you kind of weave things into people's day-to-day lives. Um, that's one of the things I always tell leaders is that, um, bringing people into the customer experience management machine, um, is not a side project. It's something that it's like, okay, you go to these meetings, you have these conversations here is where managing customer experience is going to fit into that routine, right? So thinking about how do we help build up habits? How do we help build up, um, steps, Uh, That's one thing. Uh, Another tip for leaders is be specific. And Mm. research actually backs this up. Um, Daniel Pink, a different um, Daniel, who was also a behavioral psychologist, um, did some research where he looked at whether giving someone a specific request, in this case to donate to a food bank versus a general one, made any difference um, on their likelihood to donate. And it made a huge difference. The specific one led more people to donate, regardless of whether or not they were naturally the kind of person who was likely to donate to a food bank. Um, The more specific you can be, the easier it is for people to do what you're asking them to do. So in customer experience, we have uh, a lot of what I call vague verbs, right? The vague verbs list. Be more customer centric. Think about, you know, factor customer data into decisions. Well, which decisions, which data, how does that, you know, come into play? You don't have to give people everything, but people can run with things much more easily if you give them an example or a handful of examples, right? They start to build up this database like, oh, okay, I get how that could play. So, you know, talking to the, uh, the team that runs a company's roadmap, we can, you know, What does it mean to use customer data to make decisions? What it actually means is giving more weight to customer demand for a new feature when you decide what to put where in the roadmap than you have traditionally done, right? People can picture that in a meeting. They can put that on the agenda. It's not the only example, but it's an example that helps people say, oh, okay, that I can do. so that's another, um, that's another tip that I think we know what we mean with these vague verbs. Other people don't, and they're not going to take the time to figure it out. Yeah. Okay? Maybe.
1: I think I remember uh, Dan and Chip Heath and Made to Stick yep. called that the curse of knowledge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we know it, but they don't know it.
0: We know it, but they don't know it. And I take that I'm huge fans of of Chip and Dan. I was um yeah. I, I was so um delighted to actually be able to contribute to one of their books, um The Power of Moments. But um one of the things I think we overestimate is people's willingness to figure the details out for themselves if we don't provide them. So they in Made to Stick, they talk about made to stick. No, it's in
1: switch yeah.
0: how to change when you are. Oh, they talk about script the critical moves. It's exactly mm-hmm. what I'm talking about, right? I got this idea from them and have since looked at how does it apply to customer experience. You know, you people are not going to take the time to come up with the steps, at least at first. Um, we've got to do it for them.
1: Yeah, well, well said. In Orlando, we were in Orlando about a month ago together at the CXPA Leaders Advance. It's a national uh, conference, actually global conference. And Megan was one of the keynote speakers. And in in the keynote, you shared a concept, which I love because it's so elegant, which is consistently good, strategically amazing. Um, And and to me, that that should fit into the activation for a framework for activation. Yes,
0: absolutely. So, you know, one of the biggest things that you you have to do is define, okay, we want to deliver a good experience. What does good mean? Uh, And the definition of good, there's a, a school of thought, and I get why they do this, that says we have to delight customers every single time, you know, we have to wow people every time. It's not possible. And it's not necessary, right? You don't expect, none of us expect to go leaping from one fantastic experience to another, right? That's some things we just want them to work. So when I was um, working with a client who was like, you know, telling people that is actually demotivating them because they're like, why bother if, you know, we know we can never meet the standard. And so I said, well, what we really want to do is be consistently good, right? I want to know, this comes back to that uncertainty. I want to know that if I choose to do business with you, my package is going to come on time, my bill is going to be accurate, um, the person I hired is going to show up, whatever it is. And you invest in putting in those uh, moments of wow, in the places where they make the most sense either because it's a particularly emotional moment for the customer um, or because it's something that you've kind of staked your brand on, right? So what the place where it makes sense to be amazing for one company may not be where it makes sense to go above and beyond for another.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well said. And and you had shared a story with me personally last time about Chewy mm-hmm. and a way they've lived out this strategically amazing. Would you mind sharing that?
0: Not at all. And I'm not a pet owner. So this was not, and I've never been a pet owner. So this was a foreign world to me. Um, But someone posted on LinkedIn, this amazing experience that they had, Um, their dog passed away. And when they went to cancel the recurring food and medication order for their dog, uh, not only did they get the standard sort of, you know, cancellation confirmation, they ended up getting flowers with a message that said, we're so sorry for your loss. If and when you're ready to welcome a new friend into the family, we'll be here for you. Now, I have friends whose pets are their children. I have many friends. I understand how strong that bond is. This was amazing in a couple of ways. It was amazing in that it was really remarkably empathetic, but it was also remarkably um, long-term oriented. They mm. weren't trying to win you back. They, I mean, really, how are they going to win you back, right? You you don't have a dog anymore. Um so that person shared that and what I found when they shared that was more and more people kept going, "Oh, they I, that happened to me too. That happened to me too." And so it became obvious this was not an accident. This was not one chewy employee doing something, you know, thoughtful in the moment. This was what chewy does when someone's pet dies because that is a strategic point in the relationship. Nothing to do with the company. Um but everything to do with the relationship. And so going above and beyond in that moment creates chewy customers for life. Um, And those things, when we hear about them on the news, they're great when they're one-offs. They're even better when they're uh, standard practice.
1: Yeah. And and you just shared that story and more than once. And, and I remember the first time you shared that with me, you got a little glassy eyed and you did get a little choked up this time and you don't even own a pet. I, I, you're not the customer.
0: I'm not the customer. Um, but I have a friend who's had a dog for 17 years. This dog is their life. Um, yeah. I love this. I call him my God dog. Um, when the time eventually comes, I know how emotionally devastating that will be. Um, and so I can have empathy for those people and understand why, what would you do if, if a, a human loved one died, you'd send flowers, you might send a fruit basket, you might wait, make a donation. This to those customers is the same thing as that
1: yeah and and the ripple effect in a positive way here is is not only on the customer side, but I think about employees uh, you know, engaging in in their brand and feeling part of feeling connected to the mission of the company. You know, how good does it feel to be a part of something like that?
0: It feels amazing. And I I think it's worth pointing out that you don't necessarily have to work for a company that is involved in something as beloved as pets um, to make that happen. Uh, I worked with a company that was in the insurance space. And when we got to talking about things, it was like, we are literally giving people peace of mind. Mm. And when you talk about, you know, administering a policy, it's like, blah, blah, blah but in reality it's giving someone peace of mind that if something happens they'll be able to come back from it um that's an example of how you this goes back to that human to human how you take what you do and you anchor it in the experience that that allows someone to have
1: yeah so a great a great gem there as and this isn't we're not talking about gaming gaming the system or or, or playing playing games with the customer journey. we're we're saying, look, understand you know, the journey that your customers go through and where there may be emotional points, you know, good or bad. And in this this particular case was highly emotional, but it doesn't have to be, it's just you you being aware of where those points are, and then doing something to address, make them feel special, emphasize, and and be strategically amazing.
0: Yeah, I downgraded my subscription to a publication the other day, not because I don't love the content, but I'm just trying to be more eco-friendly. I don't want the paper magazine anymore. And I braced myself for that person convincing me, trying to give me a lower rate on that because I'm used to companies trying to fight to keep me when I'm like, yeah, no, I want to downgrade. Um, it was, I was pleasantly surprised I didn't get that. They said, okay, great, we've made the change. Here you go. We hope you enjoy your digital subscription. So um the process of parting mm. in one moment can affect the likelihood of coming back together down the road and
1: mm-hmm. reference. Yeah. So eg- exits are could be just as important, if not more so, than entries.
0: Yep. Actually, exits are more important, not to geek out on the behavioral science a little <laughs> bit, but... Um, what happens at the end of an experience actually has a bigger impact on how someone remembers the experience. I gave a a talk, I guess it was last year now on why it's important to, it's actually more important to design memories than moments Mm. because what we experience in the moment is not what impacts our decision. It's what we remember about our experience. And anybody who's ever had a conversation with someone about, well, that's not what happened. No, here's what happened. You know, memories are infallible. Uh, memories are imperfect. So thinking about um, what and how is someone going to remember this experience, that's actually the thing that's going to affect their future decisions, good and bad.
1: Yeah. Well, um, we, we. I want to put a check note next to that and say, Let's let's dive into that the next <laughs> podcast, because <laughs> that's a whole nother oh, yeah. conversation. And that's a fun one, too.
0: Oh, yeah, it absolutely yeah. is. And, um, you know, as someone whose memory is is not so great uh, at times, it's it's interesting personally for me to just look at, OK, how, how does this work? How do memories work? That's another way that people are irrational. We mm-hmm. don't judge an experience based on what actually happened we judge an experience based on our memory of what happened and that is not the same thing
1: and, and that and that is why in most definitions you see around customer experience there's this the front part of it says perceptions and feelings related to the experience
0: yeah oh yeah experience is in the eye of the beholder absolutely 100% and what this is another element of strategically amazing Um, I'm flying an airline later this week that I don't normally fly. And that frankly, I don't love that much. Um, But it was much cheaper than my traditional airline. And it's a very quick trip. So I'm willing to tolerate this subpar experience. But in my view, it's subpar. My mother flies this airline all the time and she loves it. So what is a bad experience to me is, is fun to her. And so I wouldn't. I would not advise that company to try to do things to make the experience better for me. Cause I'm not their target customer. Sure. And that's perfectly fine. Um, it's like ice cream flavors. I I said this to you in another context, but um, you can have the best pistachio ice cream in the world, but some people, me included, just don't like pistachio. And you know what? That's okay.
1: Yeah. I'm with you though on the pistachio.
0: Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan, but to each their own
1: to each their own that's why uh one of of the other ice cream companies has 31 flavors
0: yes yes 31 oh in new england our local creameries tend to have like a hundred so 31 would actually be a reasonable thing to process so i just always say one
1: well we have covered quite a bit of ground today and always fascinating i took you off script and you let me so thank you you are so good to go with the flow. Um, and I love your verbal processing because I'm the same way. Yeah. Uh, um, so finally, on, on this point, let me shift over to something more personal, which I like to ask um, my guests is what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self?
0: The advice I would give to my 20-year-old self um, is it'll be okay. And I don't mean that from a a sort of trite perspective. Um, I've dealt with anxiety for a lot of my life. And one of the things that actually helped me surprisingly uh, was the Dale Carnegie book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Hmm. And that book said, lean into it, take it out to the absolute worst case scenario. And in every single case, it's like, okay, that might be really, really awful, but I'd get through it and eventually things would get better. And so thinking that something is the end of the world, uh, and I think some of this comes with age, when you've been through enough stuff, you realize that, you know what, I've survived a lot of stuff. I'll figure out a way to get through whatever this is. I don't know if it's possible to impart that wisdom to someone um, who hasn't been through as many experiences as I have in my mid 40s. But um, I would at least try to tell my 20 year old self that you know what, you'll, you'll figure it out. And you're one way or the other, you'll move forward.
1: Love, love that um, you brought to mind. Um, this is us a TV show that was oh. on NBC and it was a great show. My My wife was crushed when it went off the air just crushed. Um, but they, but the, one of the couples in there would go, "Okay, what's the worst that can happen?" And they would play it out verbally on the show. It was, it was hilarious.
0: Yeah, but, you know. and uh, um, yeah, it's it's freeing in a lot of ways, um, and frankly, it also helps you get a better barometer. I talked about those biases where we're like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to happen." Um, It actually helps you calibrate much more. All right, that could happen, but what's the likelihood that that's going to happen? Probably not that big.
1: I'm going to add that if it's okay to one of the gems uh, from today. It'll be okay.
0: It'll be okay.
1: And, And on that note... Let me thank you for an awesome time together, Megan. Thanks so much for being on the show.
0: It was my pleasure. And I'm going to take you up on that offer to come back and talk about memories because I love that topic. And I think it's one that the audience really, um, it's going to push the thinking forward in CX. So to be continued. N-
1: no doubt. No doubt. And and if if um, someone listening would like to be able to get a hold of you, what might be a good way?
0: Uh, there's two ways. You can go to my website, which is Megan, M E G A N dash burns dot com, or you can find me on linkedin that's the only social media platform um, that i'm on uh, but you can also find me there and message uh, or follow me there but uh, i love hearing from people um, i learned from you know none of what i've learned came from a vacuum it came from learning from practitioners like you who are willing to share their experiences that we could aggregate Um, So I look forward to hearing from, and I hope I will hear from some people because CX people are awesome.
1: (laughs) Agreed. Thank you so much, Megan. You're
0: welcome, Mark. Take care.
1: Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.